thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Hey, listen to the word of the Lord in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. I want to speak to you this morning from a Bible study titled, Are You Ready to Be Happy? Are you ready to be happy? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for all that you're doing in the earth. Lord, I thank you for the souls that you're saving around the world. And I thank you for the lives that you're changing in this church and in this community. God, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for good days, sad days, happy days, and bad days. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity now to read this scripture. And I ask you to anoint me to cause it to make sense. Speak to our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that you would help the hurting, God. Encourage us. Strengthen our faith is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready to be happy? If you've been around for a while, you might have heard me say one of the things that I truly believe about life. I believe the, it, that if I went around, if I started with Idaris and I went all the way around to the back of the room to Deacon Jimmy and I said, what is the one thing you want most in life? I think I'd hear different things. I think some people would just come out and say, you know, I want $7 billion because it sounds better than $5 billion. But I, some people would say, I want my grandchild to be healthy. Some people would say, I want help with my marriage. People would say, different. I, I want to pass this test and graduate. Different people would say different things. But the base reason why people would give the answer that they give is because the bottom line is folk want to be happy. People want to be happy. But we've all got these different concepts of what would make you happy. Instead of asking the question, what would you like more than anything, I could ask it a different way, and the answers would come the same. What one thing do you need to happen for you that would make you happy? I need my grandbaby to get better. I, I, I need more. Whatever. It's all about being happy. Say happy. The sad truth is, Everybody in some way desires happiness, but most people that aren't happy aren't willing to fight for it. Let me tell you what I know through life's experience, through seminary, through reading, through psychology. Depression can keep you warm at night. And for some people, sadness is their only close friend. For some people, being upset is their ally, and they wouldn't know how to operate without it. So the question is not rhetorical. 
Rhetorical question is when somebody asks you something that the answer is implied. Boy, do you want me to slap you? <laughs> Unless you're grown and you're like, I wish you would try. <laughs> try me now, little man. I swear. It's not a rhetorical question. Are you ready to be happy? Because some of y'all are still nurturing depression. Some of you nurturing bitterness. Some of you nurturing unforgiveness. Some of you nurturing anger. Why? Because you had it so long, you're comfortable with it. It's become second nature to you. It's become part of who you are and how you exist. But I know, I know theologically, I know intellectually, and I know experientially that you have a desire to be happy that God has put inside you. You just got to determine when you're going to be ready to make it happen. And when you get ready to make it happen, I'm not going to give you a magical answer. See, here's what some churches do. I get the preacher down, get some oil in his hand. Everybody that wants a happy anointing, you just come right now. Come running. Come running. I'm going to lay my hands on you, and we're going to call happiness into your life, and we're going to shout out the spirit of weakness. And, you know, everybody wants a magic pill. And that's all great and, and cool. And I believe in the anointing of all laying on hands. I believe that spirits are caught, uh, but scriptures are taught. I believe in transference of spirits. I believe if, if you hang around dogs, you get up with fleas. And if you hang around with smiling people, you show your teeth. I believe that. I just made that up. See, that's how I do. But I believe that all those things are right. But to maintain that stuff takes work. And that's where everybody flips the channel. I don't want work. I want the preacher to pray for me. I don't want work. I want to declare and decree and just be me and everything turn out right. Well, it doesn't work that way. But if you're ready to be happy, I got good news for you today. Because in these short five verses, God is going to show us everything that we need to transition away from the negativity that will try to hold you back and move into the joy that God wants you to have for your future. Verse 8. Put verse 8 on the screen for me, Mike. Verse 8 says, finally, comma. You got to always pay attention to what? Pay attention to the punctuation. When you read, students, pay attention to the punctuation. If you just gloss over your reading your comprehension will be lessened. You have to pay attention to the punctuation. So especially when you're reading Scripture and you want to understand it, you want to pay attention to the punctuation. Finally, comma, cause for pause. What, what, what could I think? What should be in my mind? I've told you all many times, when I read the word finally, that, that, that's an indicator that the writer is saying, okay, I said all that to get to this. That's when you're supposed to wake up. When, when, when the writer says finally, then that says all of the long information I've given you, I'm about to condense it into something palatable that you can take in and that you can do something with. Finally, it's a good place to be. All of you should be of one mind, period. All of you should be of one mind, period. Now, when the scripture talks, sometimes it's talking to Christians, sometimes it's talking to non-Christians. Sometimes it's talking to Jewish people, sometimes it's talking to non-Jewish people. Typically, when the Bible says 
us and we is talking about who? Christians. Them and they, talking about non-Christians. This book, 1 Peter, is written to believers, and he's talking to believers. All of you believers should be of one mind. Now we're doing Bible study on a Sunday morning. Why does it say that believers should be of one mind? Because they're not always. Why? Because some people want to be Christians. Others want to be in the Adams family. Some people want to be in the family of God. Other people want to be in the Adams family. Well, who's the Adams family? They do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance how they want to dance, play how they want to play. That's not Christian. That, that's you on you. Listen, when I hear people say, Pastor, I almost gave him peace of my mind. A couple of things I think. First, I don't know that you have enough to give away. And secondly, the Bible commands us to have the mind of Christ. You want to give away some mind, give away the mind of Christ. When it says all of you should be of one mind, here is a problem being set forth even in the church. Because a lot of people develop the mindset of the pastor. Most people in church can tell you what pastor believes or what mama and them taught them, but they can't tell you biblically what they believe and why they believe it. See, you're not to be of the mind. See, churches making out cookie-cutter Christians. You can go to almost any church in America, and you will see people, not here because we value diversity. In most churches in America, you will see people imitating the pastor's style of dress. Anybody ever notice that? If he wears glasses, everybody gets the same glasses. If he wears a certain style of shoe, they get a certain style of shoe. Car, get a certain style of car. Oh, and before anybody says, oh, Pastor got some new 24s on his navigator. No, those were old 24s. We dug out of storage yesterday. My tires were balding, uh, uh, and I decided, you know, I'll go ahead and give the cops another run at me. Uh, I had to take them off because I got tired of getting stopped. But if you really want to see something funny, I start videotaping. I'm just keep my phone on from now on. Police pulled me over. I got tinted windows, a black stretch Lincoln Navigator on 24s with deep dish mirrored rims. And when I roll, I wait till the cop gets beside me to roll the window down. And when they look at me, they go like that. <laughs> if you don't know, you just keep moving. But churches... They try to drive like their pastor, want to move in his neighborhood. Uh, listen, that God never called for any of that. Want to pray like him? In the church I got saved in, every deacon prayed the same way. Prayed how the pastor prayed. And I, well, I'm telling you, you be you, God knows who you are. Every deacon in our church, most gracious heavenly father. Started every prayer, most gracious heavenly father. I'm thinking, y'all so deep. And then they, the, the ones that have been around a well, while, they continued on. Same thing. We beseech thee now for thy blessing. You snuck a thee and a thou in with beseech and most gracious. You get all kinds of preacher pats on the back. That is the stuff churches push on folk. That's not what the Bible pushes on anybody. It says you should be of one mind. You cannot be of somebody else's mind in here, especially me. We've been called to be of one mind, the mind of Christ. We've been called to say the same thing, 
believe the same thing and speak the same thing, and that is what God says. No one pastor can oversee the whole world but of all churches, but God resides over all Christians, and we need to have the mind of Christ. You need to trade in the way you think for the way Jesus thinks. You need to trade in the way you look at people so you can see people the way God looks at people. You need to trade in your opinions so you can have God's opinions. We need to trade in our belief system so we can have God's belief system. That's how we should be. It says should be because God knows we're not. God knows people want, some people so desperately want to stand out and be unique. Let me tell you something. In 2016, that's not going to happen. Now, you grew up in my day and age, you know, everybody was doing the same thing. Everybody, you know, was, was you know, everybody wore jeans and T-shirts to school, listened to the same kind of music. Now, you, you, you got white kids listening to, you know, Faith Hill and 50 Cent. Uh, and I'm like, you know, people don't even live in the same neighborhood. You, you, you got black kids listening to 50 Cent and Tim McGraw. And I'm like, those two wouldn't even sit together in a restaurant. But everybody, kid, kids today are trying so hard to do something that their peers aren't doing. So that's why they thought, well, you know, all my friends have earrings. I'm going to throw a nose ring at them because I want to be unique. Too late now to throw a nose ring at folks. We already seen a million of them. Oh, well, everybody's got a nose ring and earrings. I'm going to throw a tongue. Do they call that a ring? I think, saying your adult knows. I, thanks, Jules. I, I'm going to throw a tongue piercing at them because I want to be unique. Too late. Already seen a million of them. Well, everybody's got earrings and, and nose rings, so I'm going to do six earrings across the top, three on the bottom, hook a chain to it, put a safety pin in my cheek, double wrap that with a chain and swing it off to my nose. Cause, and, and right, Jimmy, and, and, and end up in the eyebrow. Because I'm trying to stand out and be unique. Guess what? I already saw that one too. So it's hard to be unique now in America and that's what people, that's what kids want. I got to be me. I got my style. You got their own swag. Listen, you copied that swag from somebody else and 27 people got it too. So it's hardly unique. So instead of valuing uniqueness as your forefront, if you're saved, you should value thinking the way God thinks. Seeing the way God sees. I'm not saying don't be you inside your Christianity. You have to be. You can't be anyone else. Stop trying. But we need to be of one mind. It goes on, and I love these five verses in First Peter because they're bullet points. And I love bullet points because they're easily understood. Most of the Bible is so contextual. Verse 3 is heavily relying on verse 2. And verse 3 is building a premise for verse 4 to stand on. But this, these five verses are just bullet points, just straight single shots, things that you can pull out and concentrate on. The, the second bullet point, it says sympathize with each other. Now, if your mother is going through a terminal illness, do you sympathize with her? Absolutely. If, if your child is on life support in the hospital, do you sympathize for that child? Of course you do. That's obvious. You sympathize for the people that you're close to, but this says sympathize with each other. Well, who's each other? Christians everywhere. 
Are you sympathetic to the plight of other people? Do you pray for the persecuted church? Well, who's the persecuted church? There are countries around the world that are still killing Christians just for saying Jesus. We can say Jesus anywhere we want. We carry Bibles. We go to church without hiding. Do we sympathize for people who have it worse than me? I'll give you a quick psychology lesson. I'll let you give the answer. Why, do most, why are most people unable to be sympathetic to the pain of someone else? Because they're so bound up in their own pain, they think their life is worse than everybody's. Selfish. You can't walk in this scripture concentrating on self. If you ever really stopped to realize how tough some people have it, you would realize, hey, I can make it with mine. I got a couple people. I got a church I can go to. I got a God who loves me. The Bible says that we should sympathize. We, we should be compassionate. We should care. We should be emotional. The Bible says weep with those that weep, to laugh with those that laugh, to mourn with those who mourn. If you're so caught up in you and your own struggle, listen, I don't know how many of y'all saw now Milwaukee, Milwaukee's on fire right now. Milwaukee's on fire. Why? Because at 3.30 in the afternoon, somebody, two people got pulled over. Police gave chase. They caught the one guy. The other guy had a gun on him, spun around with a gun on him. Cops shot him. Very similar scenario. African-American man, had gun on him. Cops shot him. Dude had a record on him, longest 14 miles. What his record got to do with it? Nothing but that gun he had on him when he was running from the police. That, that, that was trouble. And when he spun on that cop with that gun on him and they shot him, Milwaukee decided, well, let's just go burn down this man over here's gas station who has nothing to do with it. They can't put that fire out now because they're shooting at firefighters come to try to put the fire out. And so now Milwaukee's the hot topic in America. You could be angry about that on a lot of different ways. You could be angry for the business owner who's losing thousands of dollars in revenue right now because somebody chose to light his business on fire. That's how a businessman thinks. You could be angry for the African-American community because another black man got shot by a police officer. You can be angry for the cop who's laid off now and can't go do his job because he was doing his job. I mean, you could be angry in a bunch of different ways, but where's your sympathy? Y'all don't like this. See, I hit everybody. White people seeing it one way, black people seeing it one way. Christians ought to all be seeing it a different way. A different way than other people see it. We should be sympathetic for the man who got shot. We should be sympathetic for the man who had a split-second decision to make on a criminal who had a weapon on him who, whose life is never going to be the same now. We should be sympathetic on the business owner. Who, we should be sympathetic on the moms and dads who are calling out on, on the local news. My children aren't home yet. They're down there rioting in that foolishness, and I hope my babies come home safe. A lot of different ways to look at tragedy. But where's the sympathy? I see a lot of anger. I see a lot of outrage. I see a lot of people thinking they have the answers. Listen, I don't profess to have the answers. I just profess to know a God who loves the man that got shot and the man who did the shooting. The Bible says we need to love each other as brothers and sisters. We talked about that last week. A brother and a sister love 
in the natural is the type of love God wants us to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's that, it's that, old, uh, it's that old love that we can talk about each other, but y'all better leave her alone. I can say that about my, my brother, but you, you, you don't know us. Like, that's, that's a brother-sister love. That's what God is calling for in the body of Christ. See, the, the thing that makes that difficult is your brother or sister probably favors you a little bit. Or they probably grew up in the same home as you. Or they probably have some similar values to you. Or at least they have some similar DNA to you. And you feel connected. Listen, we're brothers and sisters in Christ come in all different shapes, sizes, melanins, backgrounds, ethnicities, races, creeds, and colors, but we all come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and that makes us brothers and sisters. So we have to not just love each other as church folk, because you can get mad at church, go somewhere else, jump in with a whole new crowd of church folk, and tell them, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ now. And you're mad at your life. Love each other the way family loves each other. Next bullet point, be tenderhearted, come. That stands on its own. That's enough to think about. That's, that's grammatically set aside unto itself. Be tenderhearted. It's hard to find tenderhearted people in America. Why? Because most people have been beat down so long and so strong that all the tenderness has been zapped out of them. Most people are on edge. Most people are on a fence most people are expecting something so hard, I don't think she likes me. Based on what? I can feel it. Okay. I, I, he, I, think, I think he's got something against me. Based on what? He didn't come down from the pulpit and shake my hand. He didn't come down from the pulpit and shake nobody's hand. Because every service, I got nine people lining up. Pastor, I need to talk to you right after service. Can I get five minutes with you after service? My kids can tell you what that means by 2.15 in the afternoon. Don't be so offended that you lose your tender heart. Don't be jaded. Still believe the best in God. And when you believe the best in God long enough, God will begin to allow you to believe the best in God's people. Because the Bible says love doesn't think bad things about the people it loves. If you told me right now that you saw Deacon Henry West downtown Jacksonville last night buying crack cocaine from a hooker. It's okay. He wasn't. You know. He's like, baby, come on now. I, I went for milk. That's all. <laughs> I'm going to find somebody else one day, Henry. If you told me that. I would say, I don't believe that at all. Well, number one, my son was at his house uh, until late last night, so that's, that's A. But even if my son hadn't been over there all day yesterday, I would just choose to not believe that. Like, I know Deacon West, that ain't him. Oh, no, I got pictures of it. I don't want to see him. For what? I'm not going to believe the pictures. I know you can Photoshop. Now, I have video of it. Well, you can Photoshop video, too. Pastor, you just deny the plain vision. Listen, I don't choose to believe bad things about people I love. 
And I'm not going to let you convince me of bad things about people I love because I know the relationship I have with the people that I love and nothing you can tell me about people I care about is going to change me. I wish I had five people that could agree with me about that. The Bible says love doesn't believe evil report. It hopes for everything to get better. People in church have lost their hope for things to get better. They've lost their belief for people to get better. They've lost their belief for situations to get better. And that's not sympathetic. That's not loving. That's not brotherhood. That's not tender heart. Keep a humble attitude. And. And means there's more. In this case, contextually, and means plus on top of that. While doing all that, keep a humble attitude. All right, let me get my Bible geniuses involved. Bible, written to Christians. This passage is written to believers. Why would, it, why would God spend time telling Christians to keep a humble attitude? Because they don't. A lot of reasons why they don't. Most of it centered in pride. The Bible says only by pride comes conflict. I learned this in Bible college. They reinforced it in seminary. I, I believe it intellectually, but I lived through it experientially. Before my wife passed away, we had been together for 12 years. And in 12 years, and people that know us know this testimony. You call her parents. We had dinner with them Friday. We never had an argument where voices were raised, a door was slammed. We, we never called each other a name. We never said a curse word to each other in 12 years. We never had an argument, ever. Now you're like, she must have been a saint because I know him. Good concept. She was no more saintly than any other Christian woman should be. But what she was was humble. And she refused to argue. So I don't refuse to argue. You want to argue, you catch me on the right day, you might get some. Pray for me. I have issues and I need to help. I need help. She would just look and laugh and I would tell her, I'm being serious. She said, I know you are, but you're so cute. <laughs> she just wouldn't fight. The Bible says only by pride comes conflict. And I learned it does take two people to be in a fight. You can go off all you want to. If the other person just smiling and happy, you just look stupid. <laughs> to be in a fight, to be in a conflict requires pride on both parts. If a proud person tries to argue with a humble person, the humble person just let it run off like water off a duck's back. And you can't have a successful fight by yourself. Live long enough. It makes sense. Verse 9 says, not rendering evil for evil, comma. Well, that's a thought all by itself. Why would God tell us don't repay evil for evil? Because we do. Because we were raised up. If you mess with the bull, you get the horns. If you don't want none, what? But if you start some, there's going to what? There's going to be some. I mean, that's just how we were raised. But we as Christians have to overcome our natural raising and have the mind of Christ. See, that's where you just can't think the way you think. When we are one mind, it's not, 
It's not a country mind. It's not a ghetto mind. It's not a sophisticated mind. It's not an educated mind. It's not an uneducated mind. It's the mind of Christ. It's a mind that understands I'm not here to repay evil for evil. Where in the natural, the biggest defense for every time a, a, a boy or a man beats down a classmate or a citizen, and they want to defend that to their wife or their mother, why you beat that man up, why you beat that little boy up, the biggest number one defense automatically comes out of a man's mouth is what? He started it. He started, oh, oh, well, that makes it right. Oh, that makes it right. Why? Because you repaid evil for evil. He started it. He started it, but I what? This is how we've been badly programmed. And we need to get the mind of Christ, a mind that doesn't repay evil with evil, that doesn't retaliate with insults when people insult you. That's not easy. That is not easy. It is, it, it just, it, people cut you off, honk the horn, hang out the window shooting fingers at you, screaming at you. Especially when your car outweighs them by, you know, a three-to-one ratio. I'm just like, I would drive over that smart, you ain't smart in that smart car. <laughs> Don't retaliate. Just because someone insults you does not mean you have to insult them back. If you choose to be who God wants you to be. Instead... God has to give us an instead because we're so good at choosing one. God wants us to move in the opposite spirit. He said, pay them back with a blessing. Well, you really want to freak somebody out? Let them go off crazy on you, and then you apologize to them. Let them go off on you, and you go humble on them. They don't even know how to act. Now they feel all like, no, you know, I was wrong. I, and then they get a realization of how jacked up they sound screaming at a humble person. <laughs> Try it. It'll work for you. The Bible works for those that work it. Pay them back with a blessing. Why? Because that is what God has called you to do. God has called us to not repay evil for evil. God has called us to not retaliate with insults when people insult us. God has called us to bless those who would curse us. That's what God has called us to do, comma. That's enough. Said already, but there's more. And he will bless you for it. Now there's the goody. Now we're getting to the rubber meets the road. Now we're getting to where the proof is in the pudding. Because all those things can be very difficult. Go ahead and chest up on the average man. See what it'll get you. Knocked out. Go ahead and cuss out the average woman. And talk about her children. See what that'll get you. Scary to think about, ain't it? <laughs> Go ahead. Insult people and see what that will get you. It will not work well in the natural. But for those who choose to operate in the mind of Christ and walk in obedience to God, there's a blessing promise because it's not easy to do. It's not first response. It's not first reaction. It causes a purposeful mind that says, I am going to be who God wants me to be, and I am going to respond how God wants me to respond. And when I do these things that God has called me to do, he will bless me for doing it. We need the blessing of the Lord. We need the blessing of the Lord. We need the blessing of the Lord on our mind. 
We need the blessing of the Lord on our relationships. We need the blessing of the Lord on our finances. We need the blessing of the Lord on our children. We need the blessing of the Lord on our community, our state, and our nation. We need the blessing of the Lord on the world. But if you do nothing, you should expect nothing in return. But if you do what God has called you to do, you should expect God to do what he has promised to do. And God has promised that he will bless us for doing these things found in verse 8 and verse 9. He says, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. I'm going to speed up and get you out of here. I'm not going to drop on every one of these bullet points for long. You should be able to see the commas and the phrases in between the commas and realize this is something for me to pay attention to. You need to go home and read this for yourself. If you want to enjoy life, if you want to see happy days, there's some stuff you have to do. Look in the middle of the screen. It says, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. If you want to see many happy days, if you want to enjoy life, everybody in this room wants to enjoy life. I don't care how weird you are. I don't care how sadistic you are. I don't care how off you are. Everyone in this room wants to be happy. Everyone in this room wants to enjoy the life that they have. Not me, Rev. I'm just ready for the end. I'm just ready to be done. When we go on vacation, we go to churches. It gives me an opportunity to see you know, other churches, fellowship with other people. We like to go any kind of place. We were up in the mountains one time. Stopped on a, on a little tiny church. We doubled their attendance just by walking in. One of, everybody in the room was 85 and older. And their praise and worship service consisted of um, letting anybody come up that wants to sing a song. Or pick a number and we'll sing it together. And this one lady, I mean, it, it took her as long to walk up as it took her to sing the song. But she sang a song and, and it blessed us because we still talk about it and get great laughter out of it. Thank you, Dick. Over and over again, she said in her in her wildest North Country, South Tennessee accent, this this was her song. It's been a long road, and life's been hard. I walked a many mile, and now I'm tarred. <laughs> She's tarred, cause life was hard. Some people would tell you life's been long and hard, and now they're tarred, and they're just holding on for the end. I don't care how hard it's been. No matter how tarred you are, you still want to enjoy what you got left, and you want to be happy. And there is a way prescribed by the Bible that cannot fail to ensure that you have not just a happy day, Not just, oh, happy day, but many happy days. God cannot lie. He guarantees many happy days and your ability to enjoy the life that you have through keeping your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. He's not talking to the criminals here. Well, some of them are, but he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And he's saying, here's what you Christians need to do. Stop talking trash. And quit lying. Stop hating and quit lying. Stop bad-mouthing and quit lying. Stop speaking evil 
and quit lying. I'm almost done. I need you to see if you're listening and paying attention and as smart as you look. If you keep your mouth from speaking evil and you stop lying, you're going to enjoy what? And have happy what? Happy days. You could be singing, happy days are here again. But for most people, they're not. Why? Too busy talking trash. Too busy letting your mouth run off. Too busy giving everybody a piece of your mind. Too busy saying what you want to say. We got to learn how to hold your tongue. (laughs) The Bible says, keep your mouth shut and things will go right. Just keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. My kids know. Listen, parents, you want to teach kids how to stay out of trouble in school? I don't get my all my the- I get all my theology from the Bible, but I do get good life lessons from some movies. There's a movie called Tombstone, and it's about the OK Corral, and they're about to go down to the OK Corral and get in a big mess. And the the lead brother was named Wyatt Earp. He told his the, the his other brothers were getting nervous, and he told them, "Pay attention, keep your mouth shut, and everything will be all right." Listen, you want to stay out of trouble in school? Young people, you want to stay out of fights? You want to stay out of trouble? You want to get through the school year successfully? Pay attention. Keep your mouth shut, and everything will be all right. This is a guarantee from God that if you keep your tongue from talking trash, speaking evil, saying horrible things, and you stop lying, you're going to have good days, happy days, and you are going to enjoy life. Look at verse 11. Turn away from evil and do good, period. That's a whole lot right there. Why would God have to tell Christians to turn away from evil? Because Christians do evil. Stop believing these, these, these liars on television that want to say if you come to Christ, you'll be perfect. You come to Christ, you're going to learn how much work you have to do and how much work God wants to do inside you. Christians need to turn away from evil. Evil is not for us. We are not on the evil side. We're on the good side. We don't have to go out and prove. Listen to me, young men. You don't have to go out and prove how hard you are. You need to go out and prove how godly you are. Good wins. It doesn't always look like it in America. Sometimes you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys. It doesn't always look like it in America that good wins. But it does. And I don't have to use America as my backdrop or my proof text. I have the word of God to know that good wins. And we need to turn away from evil and do good. Everybody in this room needs to turn away from evil. You saying I do evil, preacher? I am. Everybody in this room has areas in their life where they could do better. And we need to do better so we can have better. We need to do better so our community can see better. We need to do better so people can see better, so God can be exposed to more people. Search for peace. Search for peace. Pastor, I just can't find no peace. Keep looking. It's there. Search for it. Get in the Bible. Get people away from you. Get some time alone. Get your thoughts together in prayer. Search for peace. And, (laughs) worst word, 
in the English language for the current generation? Work. Work. Work to maintain it. What? Peace. You have to work to maintain peace. I got my mind right, Reverend. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm on a good foot. I got news for you. That other shoe's going to drop. Trouble don't last always, but having your mind right don't last always either. It's ebb and flow. It's up and down. What do you have to do? You got to search for peace, and you have to work to maintain it. I call it focus and refocus. You got to focus your mind in the right way, and then as your day goes on, you have to constantly be in a method of refocusing. I got to pull my mind back to peace. I got to pull. I, I, I can't give time to think about those things because God has called me to peace. God has called me to cleanness. God has called me to holiness. God has called me to humility. God has called me to love. God has called me to forgiveness. God has called me to reconciliation. God has called me to be kind, tenderhearted. We got to work to maintain it. Any relationship you have that you deem ever having any value, if you've lost that relationship, it's because somebody stopped working to maintain it. Don't let that somebody be you. If you say it's valuable to you, you work to maintain it. If you say you care about a person, you work to be in relationship with them. Things get funky, get it fixed. People act twisted, go humble. People want to do bad to you, don't repay bad back to them. You got to search for peace and you have to work to maintain it. Last verse and we're done. Verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. Come. The eyes of the Lord. How many eyes does the Lord have? A bunch of people went like this. Really? He's watching all them people with two eyes? The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. The Bible talks about the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord inclines his ear to the prayer of the righteous. The Bible says the arm of the Lord is not short that it cannot save. All these bodily parts... That you read about God having in the Bible? Listen, I'll give you something you can Google, something you can look up. God doesn't have eyes like we have eyes. The Bible says God is not flesh and bones like a man, but he's a spirit. That's why you don't see God. God doesn't technically have eyes as you think of eyes. And why does the Bible say God has eyes? It's an anthropomorphic term. The Bible is filled with anthropomorphisms. An anthropomorphic term is a term given to a deity so a lesser mind can understand its implications. I can't explain to you what God looks like because I've never seen him. And neither have you. Because the Bible says no one has seen God and lived. God doesn't, God's a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bones. He doesn't really have an arm, but he can reach out. He doesn't have eyes that would be brown or green or blue. But he has the ability to see. He doesn't have ears that stick out or are close to his head. He doesn't have two ears like we do because he's not a man. These anthropomorphic terms are trying to teach us that God sees. Do you believe God sees you? So I don't hate Santa Claus. This, this thought concept is the only time I come in contrast with Santa Claus. Because he stole a song that should only be sung by God. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. The Lord's eyes are everywhere. 
He sees everything. Specifically, he tells us in verse 12 that he watches over those who do right. Doesn't he see you when you do wrong? Sure he does. But I want you to understand, contextually, there's a promise here that says when you're doing right, God is watching. Now, if you were out there, if you were out there playing, coach, if one of your basketball players was out there playing, they know you're watching. They know Coach Green's not missing a thing. But if they make a bad pass in a crucial time in the game, they're hoping you were sneezing or coughing or looking around. They, they're, they're hoping some. I hope Coach Green did, did. But if they make that perfect backdoor pass and, and, and they make an easy layup on the end of it and, and you win the game, they're so excited to know. I know Coach Green saw that because he don't miss anything. He saw me do well. Players want Coach to see them do well. Children want Daddy to see them do well. Christians want God to see them do well. And the promise is God's eyes are watching over you when you're doing right. You're going to beat yourself up enough to know he knows all the bad things about me. But you need, you need to recalibrate and understand he sees the good in you too. Everything you do good, God's eyes are watching you when you do right. And his ears are open to your prayers. There is a special intensity of God's watching and hearing his children when they do right. You know as a parent you can tune kids out. Or you can lock in. God locks in on you when you do right. I want you to do right. He says he turns his face against those who do evil. Nobody wants mom or daddy to be so angry. They look away and walk out in the room. That's not what we want. I want you to understand that there are some things that God has commanded us to do so we can have good days and we can be happy and we can enjoy life. And if we will choose to do the Christian things versus the natural things, God promises that he will bless us for doing them and he will see us when we do them and he will listen to us because we do them and he's not going to turn his face away from us because we're not the ones doing evil, we're the ones doing right. I want you to choose right over wrong. And I want you to choose God's way over your ways. And I want you to choose peace over anger and love over resentment. Why? Because this is the command of the Lord. And God said he will bless you for doing these things. We need to be happy. God created us to be happy. That's why the Bible says laughter does the heart good like a medicine. God created you. To enjoy this life. If you're not enjoying life to your fullest. If you're not enjoying your days to your fullest. You need to look inward. Stop looking at everyone else. Stop blaming other people. Well I just, I'm just a responder. I just, I just retaliate. Nothing in the Bible says be that way. It says the exact opposite. You be responsible for you. You be tender hearted. Loving. Good. Forgiving. Kind. You do right. And let the blessing of the Lord overtake you. And let the blessing of the Lord overshadow you. And then you're going to have so much to brag on God about. People are going to be coming up to you asking you. How do you do it the way you do it? And you will be able to say. Because the Lord is my strength. Pray with me. God thank you for being our strength. Thank you for giving us the ability to love. 
the ability to forgive, the ability to not retaliate. Thank you for giving us the ability to shut our mouths and to not lie. Thank you for giving us the ability to choose you over ourselves. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit that guides us, compels us, and constrains us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would motivate, encourage, and empower us to do better. Lord, I pray for all of our families who have returning students and all of our students who are returning to school this year. God, I pray that you would protect them by your spirit. Father, I pray that you would bless them. Let them have a good year. Let them have a year, God, that glorifies you academically, spiritually, and relationally, God. Let them be safe in our schools, Father. Lord, we pray for Milwaukee, God, that you would let peace reign over Milwaukee and over every place where there is trouble, God. I pray that you would let love show itself in our church. Let love show itself in our homes and let love show itself in your world. We thank you, God, for loving us and we choose to love you and to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.